Deuteronomy chapter 15, starting at verse 7. If there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers with any of your gates in the land the Lord your God is giving you, you must not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever, he, whatever need he has. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year of cancelling debts is near, and you are stingy toward your poor brother and give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty. Give to him, and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. For there, there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I'm commanding you. You must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears we have, may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Look at how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him before, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is breaking the law. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods, and see his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. This is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence, even if our conscience condemns us. 
that God is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we can receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we may believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It'd be great if you can keep that passage open. My name's Dan, if I haven't met you before. Uh, we're in our fourth week of this series in 1 John called Flourish. Um, I'm going to pray for us quickly before we get into this word. God, thanks once again for your word. Uh, please uh, help us to see Jesus more clearly this evening. May we see uh, how privileged we are as your children, and may you help us uh, to walk more closely after our brother, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Put your hand up if your dad's normal. No one? Dads are a bit weird, aren't they? Just by definition, dads are weird. Uh, dads don't think that, of course. I'm not weird. But my dad certainly is. He's no exception to the rule. My dad's antisocial. Um, he likes building things, but he doesn't like... Here he is. There he is. Not the little guy, the old one. Um, that's my son. He likes building things, but they don't have to be attractive. They've just got to be strong. Just so he builds butt-ugly things. Um, I'm, I'm not mucking around. It's true. And he likes to wear things that should really be in the bin. Um, and in fact, my mum would sometimes chuck things out that he wanted to wear. Um, There's probably too much information, but he had, like, used to wear undies that had more elastic showing than not. Now, the other week, uh, I had a little moment. I opened a drawer, and I pulled out some undies, and I went, oh my goodness, I'm just like my father. My wife has bought me new undies, but I realize I, I'm antisocial. I build ugly things. My wife throws out my clothes even when they've only got a few holes in them. I don't know what she's thinking. But I can't help it. I'm just like my dad. I, I'm, a, I'm a part of him in a sense. Like His DNA is in me. I just can't help it. Uh, my dad fears the Lord and he has the heart of a servant and I hope I have those things from him as well. But the reason I'm saying this is because tonight John tells us that we're children of God and we ought to have a family likeness too because his DNA remains in us, his spirit's in us, his seed is in us and so we ought to take on the family likeness. We look at our brother, Jesus, he's part of the family. He shows us what the family likeness is. He's pure, he's anti-sin, He's loving, and we ought to be like that as part of God's family. The main idea is right there in verse 29, chapter 2, verse 29. The rest of the passage kind of unpacks that little idea. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. He's righteous. If you've been born of him, you'll do what's right. My brother is actually more like my dad than I am. Uh, he has a beard. Uh, he drives a four-wheel drive. He has a shed. I'm a bit jealous. But when people, if people know my dad and they meet my brother, they're like, oh, you're John's son. I can tell. You're born of him. 
When another Christian meets you, they look at your righteous life and say, oh, you're born of God. I can tell. Don't they? That's what this verse is saying. Don't they? Well, John kind of takes that idea and unpacks it for the rest of this passage. He points out two things about this family likeness. The first is uh, that we ought to be anti-sin, and the second is that we ought to love. That's what the family does. But before he gets there, he kind of pauses for a second and says, did I just say born of God? That's amazing. And so like John, we're just going to pause there for a second too. The first point is this, being the blessed children we are becoming. Would you look at just the end of verse 29 with me and verse 1 of chapter 3? He says, everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Look at how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. This guy has to stop and marvel at this. Look. In the old language, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Check it out. We're not God's acquaintances. We're not God's friends. We're his children. I was talking to a Christian mate this week, um, and I said to him, well, I asked him, how do you think God thinks of you? And he said, you know, I think God lets me into his kind of presence, but I'm sort of on the edge. Like I'm part of his family, but he sort of, he sort of isn't that interested in me. I wonder if that's you tonight. I sort of generally believe that I'm one of God's children or whatever, but he doesn't really look at me. <laughs> Friends, if you're a child of God, then your relationship with God is like the relationship between Jesus, the Son, and the Father. There is an intensity of love there that we just can't fathom. There is an interest, a focus on you. I've got three uh, little boys. I love them very deeply. I'm absolutely interested in, in their lives. They have a place in my heart uh, that none of you have. No offense. You're just not special enough to me. You have that place in God's heart. You are his child as you trust in Jesus. He's taken you out of, out of sin and out of a place where you're his enemy and... Um, and given his own dear child for you so that you might come into his family and be his own child. That you might be someone with hope and future and purpose and that you might know him, you might know his love. And John just has to stop and say, look, behold, check out this love that we'd be children of God. It's almost almost too amazing, isn't it? Because here we are, just sitting here like normal people, just kind of kicking along through life. We're children of God, really? It's a bit too glorious, isn't it? 
And that's what the world thinks sometimes. They look at us and go, children of God, you look pretty normal. But we won't always. Look at verse 2. This is wonderful. Verse 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. I suppose we must concur that nothing more sublime has ever been written. The words of Martin Lloyd-Jones about this verse. Certainly not my words. I suppose we must concur that nothing more sublime than this has ever been written. When he appears, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. Do you believe that? Does it make your heart skip? We will be like him. We will see him as he is. We are his children now, but we look kind of ordinary. But a day will come when he returns. We will be made completely like him in the blink of an eye, in a flash. See, the Bible's got this kind of principle that what you look at, what you follow or worship, you become like. So in the Old Testament, for example, um, it says those who follow worthless idols become worthless themselves. That's true as you look around as well. When people worship money, they start treating everyone else around them like money. That goes in lots of directions. But in the New Testament, we have a different version of it. Um, I'm going to kind of paraphrase from 2 Corinthians 3. Through the Spirit... We are all looking, as if in a mirror, at the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we look at him, we are being transformed into the same image, the image of Jesus, from glory to glory. Even now, as we look at Jesus through the Spirit, we're becoming more and more like him, from glory to glory. Now, when he returns... We won't look at him as in a mirror. We'll see him as he is, in all his glory. And we'll be transformed to be entirely like him. Not his personality, but entirely like him in character. Complete, perfect, renewed body. You looking forward to it? Brothers and sisters in Christ... I hope you realize that this is who you are. Some of us feel pretty ordinary. Some of you might feel actually less than ordinary. You might kind of feel like life's more or less passed you by. You need to realize that you're a child of God right now. And that one day, that will be absolutely clear. You'll be glorious. When you think about who you are, you must think of that day, not just of this day. But John, in this passage, actually wants us to think about that day so that this day might be affected. Look with me at verse 3. Verse 3, he says, Everyone who has this hope in him, in Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. This is a great hope. 
I find it really encouraging. Um, I, I found the last a couple of weeks I've been really struggling to love people. Um, I've been just really busy. And people who aren't in my schedule, I just find them a nuisance, basically. I find it hard to love them. Love's kind of costly, you know. But this is telling me that one day I will be a loving person. That's cool. One day I will be entirely loving. I will be happy to pay the cost of loving someone. That's a great hope. I don't, I don't know what sins and, and kind of shortcomings you're struggling with in your life, things that are getting you down. You won't always struggle with them. You won't always have those things. One day they'll be gone like a, like a dream upon waking. And so John says, if we've got this hope, this hope of being like Jesus, of being pure, start now. There's no place for sin in God's family, not in eternity, and not now. So let's cast off impurity from ourselves. Let's cast off things like gossip and slander among ourselves. Cast off, you know, sex outside of marriage and pornography and romance novels. Let's get rid of them. Let's cast off, you know, dodgy business practices and being selfish and greedy. Let's, let's become pure, as we will be. Because we're the children of God. Let's take on the family likeness, purity, righteousness. The rest of this passage, John actually just goes on and gives us two particular family traits, family likenesses. The first one is being anti-sin. That's where he looks at from, from verse 4 to verse 10. And again, we see this family trait most clearly in Jesus, that he is anti-sin. Uh, let me show you that from verse 5. So verse 5, you know that Jesus was revealed so that he might take away sin. That was kind of the point. There is no sin in him. And then verse 8, the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. He's like, he doesn't like sin, right? He sees sin, he wants to destroy it. Every fiber in Jesus' being is anti-sin, because sin is anti-him. Now check out verse 9. If it's true of the brother, it's true for the family. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he's been born of God. If we're God's children, then his spirit is in us. His DNA is in us. And so we take on the family likeness. We, we become anti-sin. You know, for me, it's not natural to dress well. It's not in my makeup. It's not in my DNA. It's not natural for me to be social or build attractive things. I, it's not who I am. Brothers and sisters, it's not in your DNA to sin. It's not who we are as Christians. It's not our family likeness. But does that make you feel a bit uncomfortable at all? Because we do sin, don't we? We're not perfect. We make mistakes. Are we out of the family? 
Well, that can't be right, can it? Because remember back in chapter 1, he said, those who say we are without sin, they're deceiving themselves. The truth's not in them. So that can't be quite right. I think what's going on here, there's a few things going on, but I think part of it is there in verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me, just the beginning bit. Little children, let no one deceive you. You see, there's, there's people trying to deceive them. The same people who are saying, we are without sin. They're trying, to tell the, they're trying to tell the church that John's writing to, sin doesn't matter. Don't worry too much about sin. And John's saying, are you serious? Don't worry about sin? Like it doesn't matter to God? Have you seen what Jesus did? Have you seen how our family began? That Jesus died because of sin? That people were taken out of sin to become God's children? Don't you? This family is anti-sin. That's who we are. You may as well say the Reinhards aren't interested in mining. You know, the Packers aren't interested in media. God's family's absolutely about being anti-sin. That, that's the family business. Brothers and sisters, that's who we are. We might not be perfect, but we're opposed to sin. We take it seriously in our lives. We don't excuse ourselves lightly for sin. Do we? Or do we? The alternative is uh, being pro-sin. And what John calls those people here is children of the devil. Last week was antichrists. This week's children of the devil. It's not the most PC writer in the Bible. Might sound pretty nasty, children of the devil. But what he's saying is, if you just carry on living life however you want to live it and ignoring Jesus, you're anti-Jesus, you're you're pro-sin, and that makes you a child of the devil. He just, he just draws a line straight down the middle, doesn't he? Straight down the middle of the world, tra- straight down the middle of your workplace, straight down the middle of your family. You've got people who are pro-sin or anti-sin. Pro-Jesus, anti-Jesus. Children of God, children of the devil, that's it. And I think John wants us to ask the question, what does our behavior say? Like, which family likeness are you living out? I hope you're able to say, I'm not perfect, but I am taking sin seriously in my life. I, I actually am working at it. I don't, I don't like sin in me or, or in the world around me. If that is you, friends, then, then take, take comfort. This is, that's, that's a wonderful thing. That's the Spirit of God in you. That's actually an expression that you are one of his children in his family. That's a great place to be. Because God's family is anti-sin. Well, that's a negative family trait. The next one is a positive one. Um, God's family is not just anti-sin. They're, they're pro-love. So look with me at, at verse 10 where he lays it out pretty straight. Chapter 3, verse 10, just starting the second half there. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message we've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 
Uh, now, I just want to go out on a limb here for a moment. Um, does anyone know a family who has a particular smell? Last night, someone nodded. No one? No one. Yes. Yes. It's not just me. I know this family. Have a partic- it's not a stink. It's just a particular aroma. You know? It's not just in their house. They carry it around with them. It's interesting. Now, God's family stink of love. We're going to hear heaps about that in two weeks' time. God is love, absolutely love, and his family should have this particular aroma about them. We ought to, you know, love or to be amongst us. We have the most wonderful um, expression of love that's been given to us. Look at verse 16 with me. This is how we've come to know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us for his enemies, for those who are against him, for sinners, and made us his children. So we were actually born of love. It was love that conceived us. Love's in our DNA. He gave us his love. He put his love in us. And so not surprisingly, the second half of the verse brings us into the love equation. Look at this. He laid down his life for us, we should also lay down our lives in exactly the same way for our brothers. Our love is kind of Jesus-shaped. It's kind of self-giving. It's kind of laying yourself down for the good of your brothers and sisters. And so verse 17 goes on to build on that idea. Verse 17, if anyone has this world goods, that's got to be most of us, and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. So you see a brother in need. Uh, He's unemployed, he's lonely, he's sad, he just needs some cash, whatever it is. You see it, and you close your eyes. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I don't, I don't, it's going to be too hard to help. That's not God's love. This thing literally says, um, you shut off your, com- your guts from him. It's kind of like you're closing off your compassion from someone. So you see the Christian sister who's in need. And you feel compassion kind of welling up in you. But you cut it off. Oh, that's no, that's going to be a bit too difficult, a bit too involved. I don't have time for that this week. That's not God's love. And we, we treat each other like that. It's nigh on hating each other. And John says that if we treat each other like that, that, then we've got the same heart that Cain had towards Abel. We've got the heart of a murderer. And a murderer doesn't have God's love residing in him. That's not God's family. And that's not us. That's not us, is it? That's not how we do God's family. Let me tell you a bit of how I see us doing this, doing love. I see people who have got jobs that are busy, and they've got things left to do, but they, they leave. They leave work, and they come to Hive Group so they can encourage their brothers and sisters. It costs them something. I see people who are a bit short on cash, but they still donate money to Christians overseas. 
I see people who, you know, they've got a great kind of Friday night, relaxing night planned for themselves, but then a friend calls who's in need, and they spend the night bearing their friend's burdens. I see it as people give up their weekend so that they might come and serve other people at church. I see it after church when people don't go and just talk to their friends, they give that up so they might talk to other people who don't have so many friends. And the list goes on and on and on. That's how God's family lives. Costly acts of love. Let me say, if, if you belong to this church, it's going to cost you. Not money, forget the money thing. It's going to cost you in love. If you're finding that loving the brothers and sisters here costs you nothing, you've got to ask yourself if you're really part of God's family. That's what John's saying here. But if loving the brothers and sisters here does cost you, then look what verse 19 says. This, this kind of costly, practical love, this is how we will know we belong to the truth. We're really God's children. We're really in the family. We're living like Jesus. And if you're fully committed to this course of love, this kind of costly love for each other, then God will, God will help you out. Just ask him. Do you see that in verse 21, 22? I think that's kind of the context of what he's talking about. Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and can receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands. His commands are love each other and do what is pleasing in his sight. He loves to help us love. It's like going to your football crazy dad and going, Dad, can you drop me at football training? Of course I can. I love football. God, can you give me the strength I need to love like you loved? Of course I can. I love to help my children love. That's what our families are on about. It's what we do. You remember your brother Jesus? Do you remember what he did? That's what we do as a family. It's a great family to be part of, isn't it? It's a real privilege to be part of this family. To be someone who's been rescued out of sin, brought to God, to his own heart, a special place in his heart. And he loves you and he focuses on you and he helps you. So you now have life and hope and love and future and purpose. It's a great thing. If you're not part of this family yet, come on in. Talk to someone about it. He loves to take people from all sorts of places and make them his sons and daughters. It's a real privilege to be part of this family. But sometimes living up to the privilege can be hard. Can't it? Sometimes taking on the family likeness can be difficult. You know, when I was young, I wasn't really that much like my dad. That kind of came on a bit more with maturity, which leaves me concerned for the next 30 or 40 years. We'll see what happens. You might feel like you're not really taking on the family likeness all that much. You should, you should you know, ask questions about that. When we say, if you're trusting in Jesus, you will. You will take on the family likeness. Right now, you might be feeling like, well, I've only got the beginnings of, of this hate of sin. Yeah, I'm anti-sin, but I still, I still sin. I've got in me this, 
this, you know, I don't want to sin. And I want to love, but I fail. I want to love in costly ways, and sometimes I do, but not perfectly. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, you will. I will leave you with the words from verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. These sublime words. We know that when he appears, and he will, we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. Can I encourage you this week to be the children of God that you are becoming? It's a privilege. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord God, we don't at all deserve to be called your children. Oh Lord, we don't naturally live in ways that please you. We don't naturally live in ways that are fitting with your family. But Lord, you've loved us. You've drawn us to yourself. We just thank you so much for our Lord Jesus and the love that you express to us through him. Father, thank you for making us your children, your sons and daughters. Now strengthen us, we pray. Strengthen us to live the family likeness. Please, may we live lives that make you look wonderful, our Father. We pray in the name of our brother, in the strength of your spirit, for your glory and our joy. Amen.